This episode of Vic's Basement is brought to you by EB Games. Support us by buying your video games at EB Games. Welcome to my basement, everybody. We've got a special show this week. This is Brian Provinciano, who is our guest host. So oh, welcome to my basement, especially thank you, you brother. Huge Batman fan, just like I am. We've had you in Vic's basement yep. before. And what's cool about Brian is that he's putting together an indie summit this week in uh, this weekend in Vancouver. And so he suggested he bring a couple of friends with him. We've got Rami Ismail from uh, Vlambeer, co-founder of Vlambeer. Yep. Yeah. And we've gone. Uh, we've got Dan Edelman, uh, who's all over the internet right now because uh, it's insane. You threw a grenade it's... into Nintendo and said, "I'm out." That was not my intent, but yeah, that's that's kind of how it all played out, isn't it? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about indie games, and we're uh, going to hear a little bit from each of these guys. And uh, but you know, first of all, I think what we should do is probably talk about Indie Summit. Because this is your brainchild, yeah. and it's happening this weekend, and you've got indie all-stars here. And these guys, you know, have been responsible for some incredible indie games over the years. We'll talk about that. But what is the Indie Summit? Well, it all started from the full indie group. So it's just a monthly meetup. People just have drinks, hang out, chat. And originally, the first full indie was just going to be in a blends coffee shop. And... More and more Shout people started blends, <laughs> <laughs> free coffee, please. And uh, we we got so many RSVPs that it ended up moving to a pub, and then the pub spilled out into the street. And name the pub. We want um, beer. It was uh, the Soho down in Yale Town. Soho. Shout yeah. out to the Soho. But uh, and it just kept growing and growing to the point where last year we had fifteen hundred members, and now it's like probably over two thousand. Holy crap! And um, so so many people just interested in indie development here, and. I thought... Wait, wait a second. 2,000 members just from Vancouver? Right. Holy yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the silver lining from the layoffs at AAA Studios. Is right. A lot of people just went indie. That is incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, you're obviously, you're reaching out to the community that exists internationally here. Mm -hmm. Rami, you live where? In airplanes most of the yeah. time. I'm officially from the Netherlands. But from the Netherlands. I spend most of my time traveling. I, just, I follow your tweets. You just got an apartment somewhere. Yeah, I actually right. did. Uh, I got confirmation this morning. So I got a new apartment for when I am in the Netherlands, which is a week every three months or something. <laughs> okay, but cool. I'll have a different home. And you've yeah. been to Vancouver before. Have yeah. you come to the Indie Game Summit before? No, this is actually the first time at the Indie Summit. I mean, it's it's the big thing for indies in, in Vancouver yeah. is the, the Indie Summit. Uh, or just full indie, honestly. Yeah. And um, I mean, as Brian is saying, like watching this community from like a, a bit of a distance has been really, really fascinating because it just blew up. It just Suddenly it was huge. Just yeah. came out of nowhere. It's well, that, yeah, that's great. something that I kind of uh, have started to uncover as we've done EP over the years. Is because when we started the show, we do a bunch of the big companies here. There was Radical and EA and all these other companies. But then we'd hit the road and visit all the other studios up and down yeah. the coast. But I, I realized how big and prominent the Vancouver scene really has. So yeah, it makes perfect sense that yeah. there's all these indie people out there. Now uh, this is. Luftrausers. Yeah. This is a Vlambeer game that I absolutely adore. And I talk about it on the podcast and on the shows a ton. Nice. I gave you a hug, actually, yeah, because back, of this game. Back at the E3. Yeah, pre-E3. Yeah. Tell, tell us about uh, the creation of Luftrausers, since we're taking a look at this beautiful creation Whew. right here. Luftrausers was a game that we started making when we were really, really angry. Okay. And uh, we wanted to make a game that was really, really angry. Are these the console manufacturers, the ships? Is that what they uh, represent? You can, you can, whatever you're angry at, okay. you can project it onto the airplanes. <laughs> One of the beautiful things about Luftrausers. It's a very aggressive game. It's a 2D dogfighting game. You control one of um, 120 plus airplanes that you can build. Yep. And you go on a suicide mission to try and kill as much stuff as possible. Yep. Um, it has a very, like, as you can see, a very striking style. It's a silhouette. We, we kind of like that. We kind of want to evoke that feeling of like old footage of airplanes and boats and flying around. Um, and it's another one of your games, the Vlambeer games. It feels like a classic Nintendo game or something, a classic 8-bit game that never appeared on a console or in an arcade. It's sort of our goal is to make arcade games that should have been made, yeah. but that weren't made, yeah. and then we make them. So, Dan, had, had you met Rami before? Had you worked with Rami on uh, projects before? So, yeah, so I've known Rami, God, it's probably been about four years now, yeah, something like that, years. the first time we... Um, He's never actually made something for Nintendo <laughs> platforms, and I always give him a hard time about it. I also invite him out to dinner all the time, and then he always blows me off. So, so I, I, you know, 
I'm not gonna. I'm trying not to take it too personally. But are, are you? Yeah, but I've known him for a while. Are you pissed off that you're sitting so close to him right now? You know, I, I, I'd I, rather I, switch seats with Brian, I, but it's okay. I, I suggested right. the same thing. I just put. Dan yeah, exactly. Because Dan <laughs> and Brian, you guys have made sweet, sweet love yeah. before with, with your game. <laughs> yeah. in Professionally a, in speaking. Yeah, right. Oh, that doesn't sound good either. Yeah, no, but right. yeah. you brought you brought your game to this platform, and well, you brought it to every. I don't know yeah. how the hell you did that. But I don't know how you did that. Nintendo was the first confirmed platform. Really? Yeah, Nintendo was the easiest one to uh, get onto, and it was actually, like, Dan was the reason for that. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, well, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember how long it, ago it was that... It um, 2000 and this is your baby right here, right? Yep. Yep, yep. here's Retro City Rampage. This is the game that uh, Brian Provinciano made, and you can get it for everything. Have you brought it to uh, the Casio uh, old football machines? <laughs> Not yet. No. no, okay, all right, cool. No, but it's on the 3DS, it's on the PC, it's on the Vita, it's on the... PS3, PS3. Xbox 360, it's on the Wii. Wii. On yeah. the Wii. It's on the Wii, too. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, so um, yeah. So actually, originally, it was targeted for the Wii as, as the initial console, and at the time, um, you know, this is Brian's game, so I shouldn't even be talking about it, but it's, you know, it was called Retro Theftendo, and that's, yeah. that's kind of how it got on my radar. Like, Brian reached out and was like, is it okay if I call this retro theft endo? Yeah. I was like, probably not, but let me, <laughs> let me go check, check with the lawyers. And, yeah. and so, you know, it wound up being changed. But yeah, that's what really got it on my radar. And that was, God, a million years ago. Yep. It's, you know, Nintendo Power actually has something to do with the name as well, because I had a huge list of potential names like all over the map, and I just absolutely couldn't decide. Yeah. And uh, then at the end, it was just Nintendo Power had written the whole story with a placeholder name, and then they were just like, okay, it's got to go to print. What's the name? What's the name? What's the name? Retro City Rampage. That's, so, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. We actually have um, footage uh, of Brian uh, working on the game. <laughs> I, a lot of people don't know that we did a little uh, documentary on, on how you put it all together. Remember when we had the crew come by? Yeah. Can we roll a little bit of the footage of uh, Brian Provinciano? Because it was kind of uh, a solo project, kind of like a one-man band a little bit, right? So there's Brian hard at work at his desk right now. He's, <laughs> he's doing some coding right now, you see. It's interesting computer systems that you have right there. You can see how fast it myself. Fingers. Yeah, it's very, I wish I could program very, that fast. Very good, my friend, very good. Oh, so Dan, you are the indie specialist that's that's sort of that, that, yeah. That's kind of how my career trajectory ha, has gone. So I started off at Nintendo uh, about nine years ago, mm -hmm. and so I started off like I was supposed to. I was brought on, I think, you know, to do like second party deals where Nintendo would publish the games, and they were starting a digital distribution business, and they didn't really know like what are the goals of it, what do we want to do with it, and I was, you know, the reason I went to Nintendo was like. Games were getting really boring right before then. If you remember that time, it was like before Steam was really a thing and iOS didn't exist and, you know, everything was, you know, first and third person shooters. And right. so, you know, so I wanted to shake things up and I was like, I'll bet there are people out there who will make cool stuff and let's use, that's, that's what this thing should be about, this WiiWare. It wasn't even called WiiWare at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I just kind of was like looking around, trying to convince people to do interesting things. And I find like if you try to motivate people who aren't already prone to taking design risk, they're not going to. Right. Um, but then you know that's how I kind of found the indie community was um, I basically did a Google search for experimental games, and there are some sites, including one called Experimental Gameplay, and so that led me to Kyle Gabler, who later on went to make World, World of, Goo, of Goo, and so so it all kind of snowballed from there. That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, I guess there was a especially at that stage, and you came from Microsoft, That's and, right, and yeah. you were a big part of uh, getting Xbox Live and Xbox Live Arcade out the door? Was that part yeah, of it? Yeah, so yeah, so I was part of the team. I, I don't know, you know, I wasn't leading the project. I was mm -hmm. more like the platform guy trying to figure out, like, what should the policies be? What should the, you know, um, how do we handle all this content that's going to be coming in? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I was part of the team that launched XBLA, and so back then, XBLA, you know, digital distribution was in such its infancy, like you couldn't even distribute the client digitally. So yeah. it would ship out, like we, we drop-bombed like all of these disks, kind of like AOL disks. Yeah. And everyone would get these launcher disks. And then you could launch that. You saw how to put a disk in the Xbox, and then you would launch it, and then you could download games from there. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But I, I, I guess when you're jump-starting this as a concept, you're kind of... Uh, I think we can really credit Xbox Live Arcade oh, as, yeah. as the birth of this idea of smaller, bite-sized 
lower price, lower cost games that were still super fun. Yeah, so it, it actually started out um, with all the casual game portals back mm-hmm. then. So there was like Yahoo Games right. and, and Real Networks. And there were, there were several of those. And MSN had a group that was doing that. And so they really wanted to bring their games to, uh, to a console because they had all these games. Um, but they were very much like casual, like match three puzzle games, that kind of thing. Could you see then, uh, you, you know, I think what's happened is that the indie game space has really kind of supplanted the AA titles out there. Could you see back then that that was the inevitable sort of way that this was all going to go, that there weren't going to be, you could only swing for the fences with your AAA t- products or you would have quirky indie games. Could you see it back then? I, I didn't have like this long-term vision of it. I was just thinking some, something needs to shake up the industry. Yeah. Um, and I was hoping that by putting out new and interesting kinds of gameplay that a market for that would develop. Now, whether I think it would have developed on its own anyway with the advent of digital distribution, so yeah. I think that kind of accelerated it. But yeah, I think um, I don't think anyone really expected how much people would embrace that yep. um, and how big a part of the industry it's become. I think interesting, like interestingly, indie has never really. I mean, as long as games have been made, indie has been a thing. Yeah, it's not this thing that magically appeared back in two thousand and eight or something, two thousand and five. It's been around. It's just that. Indies are really good at adapting because they're small. So as soon as something becomes available, something that they can use, they'll jump on it yeah. and they'll use it. Yeah. And digital distribution, a number of things like that, just like these tiny unrelated things in the industry just all came together and every time we jump on it, then we try and build on that. And yeah, that's kind of how re- indie grows. It yeah. exploded with digital distribution. Yeah, right? that like was every- definitely a big one. Yeah, everything has kind of changed since the advent of that. Now, you guys at Vlambeer have had this uh, uh, position of being agnostic and also now you are really kind of proliferate across different platforms yeah. as well. How much has uh, iOS just been a huge, you know, sea change in this space and this in oh, the way? Oh yeah, of iOS has been huge as well. I mean, the the big thing about iOS is that it is it is relatively easy to get onto. It's it's an open market. Yeah. It doesn't require a lot of money to develop for. So for a lot of people, making a game on iOS was a very easy way of getting attention. The problem is, of course, that since it's a very easy way of getting attention, everybody started doing it, so now it's a lot harder, but it still created sort of an atmosphere in which you can just go and create a game and put it on iOS, put it on Android. The mobile platforms have really been uh, really good for experimental gameplay and for people just trying their hand at commercial game making and then growing from there. And what are the console manufacturers not learning quick enough from the success of iOS? And I'm gonna ask all of you guys this question. I mean, I think the, I think the, problem, the interesting thing there is that they are very separate mm-hmm. ecosystems. Like, I don't think that it's very easy to say, like, this lesson that iOS has is very easy, is something that we should implement in consoles or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, like, one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the interesting things I find is that iOS has really sort of made it really, really easy to just go and buy a lot of stuff. And I still find that that's harder on consoles. Like buying a game on console still takes a few steps too many. A lot of pages. A lot of pages. And there's all these problems with being in different territories. And like, I travel a lot. So as soon as I bring my PlayStation Vita somewhere, like my credit card won't work in a different country. Right, right, right. All that stuff. I I remember when I wanted to buy Earth Defense Force. Uh, for the PlayStation, I think. And I almost gave up after an hour and a half trying, and then I borrowed somebody else's credit card to buy it. And that sort of stuff just shouldn't happen. Yeah. And I think that mobile has done a really good job of just being like, okay, tap this button and tap it again. Yeah. And now, you own and now it's yours, no matter where you are. Yeah. Now, but you have, have you done a mobile game? I haven't, no. You've stuck with the consoles. Yeah. Tell us your experience. Yeah, you know, obviously we've talked a little bit about it, but give us a nutshell kind of... Uh, uh, bird's eye take on on the way that you know people at the delivery mechanisms that exist right now are responding to indie taste and indie choice. Right. So when I first got got my game onto the consoles, they didn't really have these indie programs, so <clears throat> it was a lot a lot more difficult to even get dev kits, get licensed, and so forth. And now it's way more open. And so I was really lucky to get on when I did because now there's a lot more competition and you do face the risk where as you get more amateurs putting games out there, they're gonna 
maybe not have the business sense and drop the price and we could have a race to the bottom again and right. so forth. When, when Steam made it where you can actually run your own sale just by going to control panel, uh, that day we had games as low as 26 cents, which yeah. is even worse than iOS. So it's right. something to be careful of. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. price, I guess, is a big deal right now in games, right? Yeah. I, is there a sweet spot? Is, well, the, is the I, consumer smart enough to know what things should cost? You know, it, it seems like a lot of the industry has settled on like fifteen to twenty dollars as like a uh, like a premium indie game. Yeah. Um, like what people refer to as like triple A indie, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of an oxymoron a little bit. Yeah. Um, a. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and you know, and and I think that price point seems right. I think people are very eager to drop their price, and and it's understandable. Like it, there's um, you know this idea, like the the analogy I often use is like if you're at a baseball stadium and you can't see very well, you stand up. And so, you know, everyone, you know, you can see better and, and it's great for you. But if everyone stands up, then everyone's worse off. Everyone's uncomfortable and no one can see any better. Yeah. And so, you know, if there were some way for all of the indies to say, you know what, let's keep the prices at around $15, $20. I mean, I think a lot of these games, like 40 hours of gameplay or 20 hours of gameplay, and, and they're also really interesting deep experiences. Um, I mean, you think about all the other things that you could buy for $15, and it's just insane that we're even having this conversation. I know, I know, yeah. I know. I, I want to hear what you guys think of the success of the this uh, Kim Kardashian game, because for me, it makes me want to uh, pour gasoline all over myself, set myself on fire, jump into a bed of glass, get broken up into a million pieces, and get eaten by pigs. But how do, how do you guys feel? That was, um, that was graphic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually don't know, so I, I have to admit I haven't played it. Don't. Um, <laughs> I haven't played it either. But the interesting thing is that I'm I'm starting to hear sounds from around the industry as well that it might not be as terrible as we think it is. Okay. I watched the movie. No. <laughs> There's a movie. No. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I think it's very interesting in, in, in one specific way, and that is that it is obviously reaching people that are not us. Yeah, and I think in a way that's really good news. It's important, right? That's important. Like we've got a whole bunch of new people that really like Kim Kardashian to play video games. Yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to do with those people, <laughs> but at least they're playing video games. The now. problem is though, is we bring them in, into the industry and their first taste of oh, this is how things are. So they expect things to maybe be free to play. They expect things to be a certain level of. I mean, but then I mean I hear that a lot, and then I think like when I started playing games, I used to expect everything to be shareware. And we grew up over that, and we changed our things. Mm -hmm. I couldn't buy a game, and now I, now I have the money to buy a game, so now I buy it. Like, things change, people change, people grow up, they get more accustomed to the medium. Like, I'm not going to say that I'm a big fan of the game, because from what I've seen, uh, it's really good at like, shaking money out of people, mm -hmm. and I really don't like that. Mm -hmm. But it does, have, it does have its other side as well every now and then, I think. I'm not sure what to think of it. I'm just sort of neutral about it. It's there. Dan? I actually haven't played it, so I. You're gonna yeah. reserve. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna. Re that, that's I, so polite. I, I am. So, I am a diplomat. That is I am, so yes. diplomatic. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. No, I still want to kill myself when I think about that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. Talk about the uh, the the culture shift that you went through working at an American company. Mm -hmm. uh, very proud to enter the video game space and have the success that it had, even with the earliest Xbox. Yeah. And then to shift over to a very Japanese company that has a very strong uh, North American component. Mm -hmm. Completely different? Yeah, very different cultures. So, and I kind of knew what I was getting into because before I was at Xbox, um, I had lived in Japan for about seven years. Oh, so, okay. so I was really familiar with Japanese culture and, and that was actually one of the reasons I was thinking I'd go to Nintendo because Xbox wasn't doing very well in Japan and I thought, you know, man, I've got this whole side of my background you know, speaking Japanese and being familiar with the culture, and I'm not using it. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, that was one of the reasons I thought maybe I should go to Nintendo. Ironically, I did very little with uh, with Japan stuff. It was all like the local indie communities and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but yeah, also when I started in Xbox, um, it was it was really early on, and so Microsoft, to its its credit, gave the Xbox division, all this freedom that they normally don't give. Like, normally it's like, well, how does this relate to Windows? And how does, how does this relate into .NET and all of these other corporate initiatives? And they call it, like, the corporate tax. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have to deal with any of that stuff. Um, and so, like, 
Jay Allard would come through and like his hair was dyed a different color every day. And it was, it was really fun and exciting. Um, I've heard like that's not the culture anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I went over to Nintendo and it was very much a, um, a Japanese company. So, yeah. um, and we were, were the local subsidiary. So there was, there was definitely a culture shift. It's a lot more hierarchical. Yeah. Yeah. The, this was an interesting E3 because, um, you know, all three of the console manufacturers, I think, came out strong with some different stories to a different degree. And I think that there was a lot of uh, love for what Nintendo had on offer. There's a lot of excitement for uh, Smash Brothers and, you know, things like Bayonetta and stuff like that. And Microsoft, I think, had to re- reverse a lot of thinking and, and thought processes around how many changes have occurred since their first yeah. initial reveal of the Xbox One. But it's clear that Sony is kind of kicking some ass right now with the PlayStation 4. Why do you think things are shaking out that way? And I asked someone that has worked at, a, at two of the th- those three companies. Three. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, you know, this is wild speculation on my part about like what went on at, uh, at Microsoft. But I think, you know, um, they didn't do a very good job communicating the value of, of the way, the reason they made the decisions they made about how their online service would work. And so they got into the nitty gritty of explaining, you know, how certain features would work. Like, how do you share a game under this new system without explaining, here's why we built this system in the first yeah. place and, and explaining the value proposition of why this is an exciting thing. Instead went into like, you know, here's the specific policy changes and Here's how it's going to change. And everyone's like, oh, this sounds awful. Yeah. Um, and so they, 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 they didn't do a very good job communicating that. And I think they've said that as well. But also to Sony's credit, um, you know, they, they really tried their best to design uh, PlayStation 4 to be very developer friendly, um, not these proprietary systems that Sony has been known for in the past. Um, so they've really um, embraced developers yeah. um, in a very big way, which is fantastic. And how does that read and transfer to consumers? I, I mean, I think there's just a, a tremendous love for the brand of Nintendo, but they're, sure. you know, the huge wave of consumer interest hasn't sort of followed with the Wii U. I mean, why do consumers already know this about what PlayStation is kind of, you know, offering and, and sort of communicating through, through the development community? Yeah, Um God, I'm going to get myself in trouble again <laughs> talking about Nintendo because I'm not there anymore. And, yeah. you know, it's... it's um, None of these so, are, are your former employers. I know, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that caveat on there. I know I'm still going to get crap. Um, but um, Nintendo's always done its own thing. So yeah. it's always been its own quirky thing, which which is actually something I really admire about the company. Like All of sometimes, us do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it'll make me want to pull my hair out because yeah. it'll be like, come on, there is a better way of doing it. And yet... You know, it's like, well, we don't know this other way because we never play the other consoles. We we don't know, you know, this is this is too extreme. I, they they do play the other consoles, but but probably the easiest way to get an idea shot down at Nintendo is to say, well, we've got to do it because Sony's doing it or because Microsoft's doing it. And right. the answer is always, well, we're not Sony, we're not Microsoft, we're Nintendo, right? Wow. Which I think is awesome. It, fe- it but, feels that way. Yeah. Like when you play a Nintendo console, they get so many things that nobody else is doing right. Yeah. And then, like, transferring your profile, they get it wrong. And it's like, whoa, what? It's like, there's, there's a known way to do this. Yeah. This, this is a problem that has been solved. Yeah. Or, or sharing the code of a game that you bought already, but you can't play it except for that one platform yes. that is logged to. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy time. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about price because you got about this sort of traditional pricing structure of video games and how much that is playing into this sort of switch over and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, consumer interest in, in mobile and other types of game ideas that are out there. I've been saying for a long time that 60 bucks is just a, it's just like a giant barrier yeah. for a lot of people out there. And I, I want to hear what you guys have to think about pricing and, you know, is it too late for these prices to come down to get people back into console games in a massive way? What do you think, Rami? I don't, I don't think, like, the thing is, like, we're in this very weird spot in the industry where there are two movements that are moving in the, like, 100% opposite direction. Yeah. At one end, games are getting more and more expensive. Yeah. It's more expensive to make them for, like, the bigger companies. Um, and on the other side, all the prices have to go down. And that's sort of what India is like sort of doing as well, is because you can get an experience that is as good as a AAA game in an indie game yep. for fifteen euro for fifteen dollars. Yep. Sorry, we're in the 
that side of the world. Um, <laughs> so it's like this really strange spot where on one end, people don't want to play, pay full price, and on the other end, they want to play full price games. So there is, at this point, we're just sort of stuck. Yeah. Like, we don't really know how to deal with it. You see all these, like, little experiments, people coming up with subscription models for companies, people coming up with, like, $30, $30 games. It's, let's see what Far Cry Blood Dragon does or something. You see all these, like, little experiments in pricing. People are starting to put, like, in-app purchases in their full price game, which is awful. And yeah. there's, like, all these different things happening. And I'm not quite sure where we're going at the moment because nobody really seems to know. We're just sort of trying. I think what PlayStation is doing with the PlayStation, uh, with the PlayStation Plus stuff is, yeah. is very interesting yeah. in a way. Uh, but it's also one of those situations where people are just starting to expect games to be free yeah. more often. And that has, it has this negative sort of effects. We have Nuclear Throne in early access right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we said when we released it is we're going to make it more expensive during early access. And that's a very controversial decision because people expect games to be cheaper while they're in development and then more expensive when they're done. We said, no, 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 no. The way we see it is we're going to make people part of development and we're going to make sure that people feel good about that. Right. And that means like every week we do an update with content and stuff. We do live streams twice a week on Tuesday and Thursday. So we, we make that a premium. Then when it's done, we're going to release it. And one of the interesting things we see, even though it's a $1 difference, like it's literally a $1 difference, uh, that the amount of sales we have on the game is lower than the amount of people that have put the game on their wish list and really want to play it, but are waiting until For that one dollar. Wow. it drops a dollar. Holy so mackerel. It's like, it's like the sort of sales culture in Steam, for example, has really took hold of the industry. Yeah. And now the industry has to find a way to make sure that people can sort of expect that because they're getting used to that yeah. while still offering the value that we were offering before. Brian, do you think we need a price point kind of uh, you know, parity or some kind of structure, a little more kind of organization that way? I, or is it, is, is it meant to be a, a, an industry now where anything goes? I do think that the platform should kind of insist that things don't get too low. I think that it's actually really a, a tricky spot, kind of like a car on two wheels. Will it go this way or that way? Because um, on one hand, to be honest, the platforms I've made the most money on are the ones that I've had the most sales on. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you have a lot of people that used to pay $60, but now they wait for Steam sales because they know there will be Steam sales. Yes. Um, so it, it, it's really a, a double-edged sword because <laughs> I've made more money than I would have had the game not had so many sales. But at the same time, the the average perceived value is lower. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the other thing with sales that I suddenly... So Ridiculous Fishing on iOS has never been on sale. Yeah. And we've actually very clearly communicated that it will never go on sale. Ridiculous Fishing is $3, $3 which is more than your average iOS game. It will never, ever go on sale. And the amount of people from which I still get emails with when is it going to go on sale <laughs> is sort of crazy. But when I say it won't, they buy it. And it's this very interesting, like, weird situation where people are expecting a seal and waiting for it, even if that seal won't well, come. Well, you know, you know what this says to me, and I, I think this also speaks to digital distribution and social media and the ability to communicate directly with the uh, developers and the creators of this content, is that there's a, a power shift. There's a power, uh, a complete change. And Dan, I think you've been a, fa a facilitator in that. The people that are building these games now directly communicate with Absolutely. their audience. And you, you have... You have Fans watching your show yeah. about you building your own. Yeah, you've Community built your own been, thing, man. Community has been amazing, uh, especially on Nuclear Throne. People watching a game get developed. It's really interesting in a way because you get to see where there's a disconnect yeah. between us as developers and, and people that play it. So we had an episode where we introduced a new weapon in Nuclear Throne. Yeah. But because we hadn't programmed the collision on the bullets yet, the bullets would go through a wall. And the entire stream just went like, wait, you have to program that? You don't, you don't just go and call it bullet and then it's like mounted. But like, no, you have to like turn on the collision and like, you know, program it and make sure that it collides in the right way and then all that. And they're like, now I get why it takes so long to make video games. And yeah. it's like, all, seeing those little things has been really interesting, but it's also been really interesting to see how that changed our community. Dude, that is amazing because, you know, our show has been about trying to tell these stories, but we don't have like live streaming time to sit with everybody and show people the process. Yeah. Now we do through yeah. Twitch. Now you actually can live stream how difficult this stuff can be and how much work is involved. But the other side of it is that the magic of games just appearing out of like the Nintendo magic box, right, right. that's kind of disappearing a little bit too. When you have developers sort of all over the world coming in at every different price point, that's, I guess, another thing that's besieging 
you know, stalwarts like Nintendo right now? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's different categories of fans, right? Like, so there are people who, who don't really care about, you know, what Rami's doing and how to program a bullet and all of that yeah. stuff. They just want to play a game. Yeah. And, and that's great. And, but I think, you know, and that's always been the case. Those, you know, people just want to buy and play a game. And that's like 98% of the, uh, of the consumers out there. But for those 2% who are really curious to see what goes into making a game, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing that people can now view that you know, from their living room. I can't imagine like if I were able to watch back when I was a kid, like what it took to make a video game and see it in process, that would have blew my mind. Yeah. I, you know, I was you know, programming on my dad's IBM PC, you know, the 64K thing, and, you know, and you know, I couldn't figure out how to do two rows of Martians on my Space Invaders game, so I gave up. You know? But awesome. like, to watch a professional do it, that yeah. would have been it. Amazing. Rami, are you showing code when you're uh, yeah. putting your stuff together yeah. so people so, can just see exactly what you're doing? Absolutely. No, one of, one of the, one of the ideas, when we came up with the idea of live streaming development, yeah. the first thing we realized is that we were complete idiots, that we were going to try this five <laughs> hours a day, twice a week. Yeah, um, and then the other thing is we were just going to be honest about this. Like we were not going to do the fancy documentary style. Like this is how a video game gets made, and yeah. they're just sitting there. Like on the one side, there's somebody in a motion capture suit, and on the other side, there's like a full, fully like moving model. <laughs> We've made there's many like, documentaries like that. There's like there's like two months between that. Somehow. I know. <laughs> it's like well, but it's like it's like that thing where we're just like okay, we're just going to show our screen. There's a camera on our face. We're going to answer questions from the Twitch, and yeah. that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna do it. And it's been really like it's been really interesting. It's been interesting to see the shift in tone in the community from mm-hmm. being very demanding. They're like, why don't we have this in the game? And now they're just like, how much time would it take yeah. to have something like that? So there, there's definitely an interest, and we see that even the people that aren't interested in this sort of stuff, like they watch the live stream every now and then just to know what's coming up in the next update. Yeah. Because we talk about that as well. Do you watch other developers? Yeah, we watch other developers. We watch a lot of people streaming our games as well, and we just hop into their, their stream and talk to them cool. about what they want. Cool. So sometimes we'll get like somebody with like 11 followers on Twitch, and we'll just chat to five people about Nuclear Throne. And, uh, and talking about speaking with uh, people that might be watching the stream, we're going to do that in a second, though. Uh, what I want to do is just uh, find out about the games that you have really been digging in 2014. I'm a big fan of what you've been doing, big fan of what you've been doing, and you've brought some amazing games to us. But what are you guys loving right now? What have you been playing, Rami? I, at this point, I'm, so I went to a store in the Netherlands the other day, and the guy behind the counter recognized me, and I basically said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be traveling, and I need your recommendation. I need five terrible games and one really good game that I can play on a handheld." Uh, and they gave me Soul Sacrifice, yep. which is awful and uh, like perfect, yeah. like in both ways. So I've been playing that. I've been playing uh, Phoenix Wright versus Professor Layden, or Professor Layden versus Phoenix Wright. I yeah, don't know yeah, which yeah. which one it is. Um, the Destiny beta, I adored that. Yeah, I, that was probably my favorite thing I've played. Like, there's something about everything in that game, where it's pretty damn slick. Isn't it's it? like you feel those controls in your hands, like yeah. hours after you stop playing. Like yeah. they they were perfect. Like everything about that game was was great. So I think Destiny is like my big. That's a my pretty, big love for pretty cool shout out from an indie developer to a huge team out there. I mean, I'm sure I, they're going to appreciate that. I'm I'm in the end. I just love video games like I, it's not that i love indie games i don't love triple I, I love video games and i love games from like simple things like threes like all the way up to like very very like big triple a games like destiny awesome Dan? isn't that ironic though that a shout out from an indie to a large developer is now considered <laughs> prestigious when it used to be the other way around like <laughs> if a big studio knows who you know who an indie developer is that was huge yeah. so now it's 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 just goes to show how much things have I mean, changed. Just yeah. the lines yeah. are so non-existent, though. Like that's true. It's, it's true. like people always assume like this huge. If you could like, if you could like, sort of make a movie out of the video games industry and just yeah. like make it a fantasy movie, they would put like the armies of triple A <laughs> yeah. with like orcs and stuff yeah, against yeah, yeah. like the indies in their like elfin armor, and it's just, like sort of like that's not. That's not kind of how it goes. No, and when the truth is, with all of these AAA, they, the the best ones start with a tiny little team that work on systems and ideas and mechanics, and then they keep building and building and building. And then suddenly, they have two hundred people working yeah. for them, and yeah. then they have to be a bit more risk averse. Like yeah. I get that. Yeah. Like, if I if I had two hundred people working at Vlambeer, we would probably be a bit more careful <laughs> about what we do because I don't want two hundred people to lose their job. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, you've probably seen the photos of like Epic when it was first getting started and. 
you know, or id software, you know, like all, yeah. all these ones where, um, you know, they totally look like an indie studio. Oh, you know, yeah. I talked to so, a bunch. I talked to a bunch of people that run AAA studios, and I talked to them. It's very easy to have a conversation. Yep. The biggest difference in the industry between people is not between the people that run indie studios and the people that run AAA studios. It's between people that run studios and people that work at studios. That's the biggest difference you get in mentality. Yeah. For me, I'm I'm running a studio. Like I'm trying to make games. I'm trying to connect with my fans. I'm trying to do like the right thing and make sure that everybody can feed themselves at the end of the day mm-hmm. while making interesting stuff. That's the exact same thing like people at big, big studios are doing that run that studio. Like they have a lot more considerations. Yeah. But they're still trying to do that. With a lot more pressure. Yeah. Oh, Damn. So uh, yeah, so games I'm playing. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Shovel Knight right now yeah. is um, so since uh, leaving Nintendo a week ago, I actually haven't been able to play any games for like a week. Um, but yeah, so I'm still in the middle of Shovel Knight. Did you uh, bring that over to Nintendo? Was that one of the ones that yes you were Yes and no. Like, yeah. um, I, I've known them uh, from their way forward days. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they came to me and said, we're doing this. Um, so it wasn't like I had to, like, do this big sales pitch to them and say, like, hey, you really should bring it over. They were, they were coming to me saying, hey, this is what we're doing. And I was like, holy crap, that's awesome. Keep doing that, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was. This is my favorite game of the year right now. Oh, great! I, I great. love this game so much, and I, I, it, it kind of baffles me that we have a lot of uh, prestige for Way Forward. Yeah, there are a lot of great thoughts about Way. This is the best Way Forward game that I've played, and it's not made by Way Forward anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a yeah. wonderful. Yeah, wonderful no, game. Way Forward though they they're great. Like they've got Shantae coming out. Um, that they're working on, I know. And they, they've got a couple things that, that are on the horizon, so they're a great studio. Awesome. Yeah. Brian, what are you playing? Still playing 2013. Spelunky <laughs> is... It, I look, it's, so it's like, you know, you go to Netflix and you're searching for something to watch and you can't find something or whatever, but with me, it's like there's always Spelunky. Yeah. So I put in any you're like game... like Jose, man. I've got, bar is exactly the same I've got ADD now. It's like if I play a game and I'm like, it's a good platformer, but it's not as good as Spelunky, I go back to Spelunky. Wow. <laughs> so you yeah. know that that is like a major problem we're having? Like yeah. We're making a game with procedurally generated stuff. It's not Spelunky. Like, we need to make it so good that we stop thinking that. <laughs> as soon as we stop thinking, like, this is not Spelunky... We've done it. Like, that is when Nuclear Throne is like, ship it, we're done. Yeah. But we're, we're getting there. Like, yeah. I, I feel it's a different game, but it's still like every now and then I go like, how does Spelunky do that? And why, like, does that feel better? And That's awesome. Just... So much love for that game. It's incredible. And it's passing through years. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like The Last of Us coming back and, and all the love that that game has been. Getting. You know, I, I, uh, I, I didn't even know what Spelunky really was. Yeah. I have friends who were playing the original Game Maker version, but I had no idea. I just bought it because everyone said it was good. Yeah. And then I fell in love. And, you know, the first week I didn't quite get it. And then I just kept playing yeah. and now I'm in love. Yeah. Um, and GTA 5 is the other one that... <clears throat> GTA 4 had lost me and I was obviously the biggest GTA fanboy on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then GTA 4 lost me and then... <clears throat> GTA 5 completely redeemed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Steven, do we have any uh, questions? Quite a few. Oh, Actually, oh. you've been answering a lot of them. Oh, okay. Okay, right on. Uh, Here's one thing we've yeah. been arguing over on in the comments is, Jean-Nicolas asked, his question, is originality in gaming creation something that is only growing out of indie games, or can AAA games have it as well? Okay. Oh, oh, all right. So let me ask that question to make sure that everybody can hear it. Uh, what's his name? Jean Nicolas asked, uh, is originality only available through uh, indie or can AAA uh, come up with some new concepts that we haven't been playing before? Let's start with Dan. Oh, absolutely. It can come from anywhere. Yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing unique about indie. I think, you know, as Rami was saying, um, some, you know, a lot of indies can afford to take more risks. In fact, they, they have to take more risks because that's all they've got going for them is that they, they, they need to stand out to survive, whereas AAAs don't need to do that. But AAAs also have the resources yeah. to, to place these bets, and they're not going like, to lose their home if you know, a game idea or a game concept doesn't work out. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, 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 but, still, though, when you see a company oh, like yeah. Crytek who has you know, had a reasonable uh, success rate for a long time, but now they're having problems making payroll and stuff. Oh, sure. I mean, no, but no business is unassailable. So yeah. you know, you've always got to... You know, so it's it's just a question of what scale of risk can you take, and you've got to moderate it with 
you know, do you have some safer bets to to offset it? Kind of like a portfolio. Yeah. Like, you know, you buy your risky stocks and you've got your safer stocks and and hopefully the the risky bets pay off in a big way. Um, so yeah, um, and I'm blanking on the name. The um, the most recent um, Ubisoft game uh, on the Wii U. No, no, no. The uh, the Rayman's uh, not. It's not Rayman's. Um, oh crap. Um, Rayman Legends. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Rayman Legends. Yeah. yeah, I mean that had all kinds of new game mechanics. Um, yeah. Really interesting ideas in it. Um, That's Michelle so, on and so yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy like is true blue indie in a way, you know, and like yeah. they're in Ubisoft's and he's got the giving, resources to back, and they're giving them a studio right now. That's, yeah. that's the thing, though. Like yeah. indie can in, indie can take resources uh, can take risk because they don't have the re- they don't bet as many resources on things yeah. as a big AAA studio. AAA can take risks because they've got a lot of resources right. and. I mean, the funny thing with AAA is that they kind of, like, every AAA game, every new installment of a series always introduces something interesting and new. Like, when Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 came out, I was very impressed by the fact that they could make the Eiffel Tower crash towards me, and I just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Like, I was very impressed with just how emotionally empty that was. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's really, like, interesting in a way. <laughs> then Black Ops 2 came out, and I was actually blown away by it. I yeah. loved Black Ops 2. Like, yeah. That was a re- really interesting game. Did a bunch of interesting stuff with branching narrative and like hidden decisions. You know, Ryan Payton is a huge fan of that game as well, the guy that did Republic. And yeah. he's come from AAA, and now he is a total indie guy. Black Ops 2 was a really interesting Call of Duty game. And yeah. then everybody says, like, you know, it's like always the same game. But AAA innovates in a different way than it sure does. We build our game around it. Yeah. They have to, like, hide it in the game that they've already made. Because right. if you go and just go Call of Duty and go like, Call of Duty is an RTS game now. Yeah. It's just <laughs> going to get like, Halo tried it. That yeah. didn't work. <laughs> so it's like, they have to hide it somewhere. Well, yeah. we have to put it in the front. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, what do we got there? Gameplay Dev asks, what will Dan's role in the industry be doing now that he's indie? That's pretty cool. This is uh, Brian. Uh, he's at uh, Brian Davis. Yes, yeah. right. Brian Davis over at Next Level Games. Gameplay Dev. Thanks for watching, buddy. Hey, asking, Brian. You know, do you know Brian? <laughs> yeah, I know Brian. Yeah, he's asking, uh, what's your what's your role? Yeah, How's so, it going to change? Um, so it's, I see it as kind of twofold. On the one hand, um, I see a big need for a lot of indie developers to wrap their heads around the business side a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I've met so many really talented game creators who don't really know how to get started on the business stuff. So like talking to press, like things that are should be common sense if you're running a business, talking to press, um, figuring out your pricing strategy, how do you, you know, market your game. So helping some studios with that so that they can actually be successful. And like the long-term vision is kind of to communicate those learnings out more broadly so that indies can do a better job surviving. Because right now, it seems like a lot of indies are feast or famine. Like, you, you know, for every Rami out there um, and every Brian out there, there's 100 guys who, like, slave away for a year on a, on a game, and they release it, and it sells, like, 400 units on iOS, and then it just dwindles down to nothing, and they're like, well, shit, that didn't work. Yeah. And, and so I, I want to avoid as many of those disaster stories, and so... If there's any way to kind of like change the dynamics, um, maybe communicate to consumers, like stop waiting for sales. Like if you really love a game and you're really interested, spend the money because it's not that much. You know, those kinds of things. The the mouths of the people that are making this stuff. Absolutely. So, you know, kind of making those connections. So, so, um, yeah, so that's what I'm hoping to do is just make it a long term, a more long term, stable, and viable business. Cool. Not just for Nintendo. And no, that, and no. that's and that and that is what has primarily changed, yeah, right? Yeah, I figured you know there's you know Nintendo um, obviously is one part of the um, the ecosystem for indies, but it's not the whole um, ecosystem by any stretch, and yeah. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Um, so, and could you, could you see a day where Nintendo comes to you with original ideas that are kind of indie, and they need your help for different kinds of distribution, or different kinds of awareness, or different kinds of developers? Um, so different kinds of developers, like, you know, helping with the indie strategy, you know, I, I would love to continue helping them, you know, from the outside and, you know, giving them my thoughts and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, still have lots of friends over there and, and hopefully they, um, even after this past week, they value my opinion (laughs) and my input. Um, and so, so yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, they've got 
they are probably like the original indie studio. Like, yes. you know, the original Super Mario Brothers is such See, a... This, this burns my ass. Every time I find an iOS game that is just ripping off blatantly a 1980s incredible design concept from yeah. Nintendo, and there is no, you know, tribute paid, there's no money going back to Nintendo, it's just a complete ripoff of a concept that they originated. It drives me insane. I know that's part of the business, but... It's, uh, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it physically hurts my heart. You know what I'm saying? I know that feeling. Yeah. Because Nintendo saved our business. Yeah. You know, like it was dead and Nintendo resurrected it with awesome ideas and made us care a bit. At this point, we're resurrecting the game industry like once every two years. Yeah. I feel. Yes, it's- for sure. We crashed like back in 2006 and then again in 2008. And I think we had another one in 11. Like we're just reviving when's the, the game. When's industry. the next one? I think we're just like crawling out of it at the moment, actually. We're just like, hello? Is anybody, like, is anybody here? Yeah, when Cliff Lazinski's making a free-to-play uh, first-person shooter. Yeah, man. that was a nice. He's still working with Arjen Brusset again, though, which yeah. I think is very interesting because that was back from like Just Jack Rabbit days. Yeah. That like, Just Jack Rabbit was fun. They'll make something cool for sure, you know? He's not a dumb guy. Absolutely. Let's get another question in. General Unease asks, do they see a trend for game developers moving away from investing in major AAA console titles due to the rise in popularity of Steam and Twitch and the gamer demographic moving towards PC? So, uh, oh, okay. uh, gen- what, was, what was his name again? General Unease. General Unease, wondering if uh, uh, the gaming industry at large is going to shift back to PC and spend more on uh, indie developments and more original, I think, developments. Uh, and shift away from consoles. That sounds like there's a lot of assumptions as to what is happening right now yeah. in the industry that aren't necessarily true, also, I think. I'll say one thing, though, which is big, is that uh, you might remember years ago when companies would say, oh, we're going to release our PC version later because piracy is so rampant and so forth. Yeah. And now Steam is so large that almost every company knows we got to launch on Steam the same day as PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I think like what is, what is happening is way more interesting than that is that the amount of platforms that people can release on has increased like exponentially. Yeah. Not just for like larger companies, but also for smaller companies. Like, it, like AAA companies, which back in the days would only launch on like PC or console, are now releasing on PC, console, like iOS. micro console, iOS, Bioshock Android, iOS. everything. Yeah, and indies, which were traditionally like sort of locked to PC and, and later on mobile, are now releasing on PlayStation and Nintendo. And so what is happening doesn't feel like everything is like moving to one point. It yeah. just kind of feels like everything is moving to everywhere. Yeah. I think that is the thing, because if you if you have a small company, you kinda you hit your first platform and you hopefully make that Steam. Yeah. Like Steam or an iOS hit. If you can hit one of those two like in a good way, you're in a good position. For yeah. a AAA company, it's very, uh, it's, it's kind of like you just hit everything because it's the most, it's the safest option you have. It's yeah. just hit as many things. Yeah. And then as, if you have an indie game that does well, you pull a Brian, Brian Provinciano yeah. and just release it on like everything. Yeah, right? Does that hurt the end quality of the experience though when you have to think about all of the porting and all of right. this, you know? So, I mean, doing 3DS after was, worked out incredibly well, which was a happy accident. Had I tried to do 3DS simultaneously, it would have probably hurt the game because when I released it on the original platforms, I had to design everything with safe zones to support 4x3 and 16x9, support the zoomed-in version on Vita and this and that. When it came down to 3DS, I was just like, whatever, just modifying everything, just like tearing this out, adding this, hacking this, duct tape there, (laughs) and just make it as good as possible on the 3DS. Um, And... As per markets, though, it's amazing because I did have the one thing that did hurt it was that I had announced hey, it's coming out on this platform, this platform, this platform, all these platforms, but it wasn't able to come out on all of them right away. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of people that are waiting for it. Maybe they forget about it or they see it's on sale on that platform. So, like, oh, well, I'll wait for it's on sale on that platform after it comes out on that platform and so forth. But once it finally came out on 3DS, like 15 or so months later, no one there weren't all those people waiting, I'm going to wait until it comes out on 3DS because it wasn't originally going to be on right, 3DS. Right, so, right, yeah. And in the end, it came out and did super, super well, and it's still selling super well six yeah. months later. So this is a pocket, a market that 
only was reached with 3DS. They weren't waiting for 3DS. And you're also talking about the death of the idea of uh, shelf space being mm -hmm. the predominant way that you get attention for a lot of this stuff. Uh, I want to talk real quickly, and I don't know if people are asking this question right now, but obviously Amazon is in the video game space now. They're investing in studios and original IP. Google has got a, a, a console. Uh, I don't even know what that's called, the Google Play TV or something like that. And they've got a controller, and they're, they're taking gaming on a TV kind of seriously. We're still waiting to hear if Apple is going to do this. How much does the industry change now that these kind of mobile companies are trying to make consoles? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, same thing. Like, it, it's a new market. People mm. are going to try it. We're going to see what comes back. And then, like, I think it's interesting. I think it's very strange that micro consoles are happening now. Yeah. Because it kind of feels like the last time that they will ever be a thing that is, like, happening. Like consoles because, in, in general. Well, I mean, the, the big consoles, like, they have an opportunity of like being around for like quite a while, but the micro consoles, like I have TVs that have that processing power at this point. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a strange thing. So it's for them, it's not about the hardware. Like it's not about the hardware at all. It's about the software. It's mm -hmm. about like what kind of services and things can they offer, and things like the Uyo, you know, which was originally kind of cool and then sort of super awful and now sort of crawling back up <laughs> hoping to do something interesting. Like they released an IDE for their console like a while ago. So you can now program on an Uyo, which I actually think is very, very interesting. So it just, it, I don't know. Like I really don't know what the micro consoles are going to do. We're going to probably hit a bunch of them with like a bunch of our games because it's relatively easy to get a game working on them. Yeah. I have no idea. I have no expectations. I'm not banking on anything with them. I'm just going to see what happens. You, you got Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the things that a lot of the larger companies are going to have to think about is what, what does a new platform really bring to the table? So if it's just that, you know, while consoles seem to do really well, we want some of that business, so we're going to make one that's the same as everybody else's. That's kind of like the same problem that a lot of game developers have is like, if you're making a game that's just like everybody else's, why do you need it? Um, and so, you know, one concern I actually have with, especially with um, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, is there is so much overlap in terms of processing yeah. power and CPU. You know, like, do you need both? Like, what do they define? You know, what's the the difference? And if it's really just because of which team did the best business deals to secure the right exclusives? Which then it's got 1080p on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's, <laughs> um, you know. So I, I wonder, like, what 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 should a console represent? What you know, what's different about it? And if it's always just here's the latest iteration of more horsepower and more you know GPU processing power, then you know get a Steam machine because that's constantly evolving, and yeah. so you can always update it, and and then. You know, so maybe that's the platform. Yeah, I like Steam Machine, but my first one lit on fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like literally, it just like, sort of. Yeah, I'm like, awesome. well, this is a development unit, so I guess that shit can happen. Like, I've had crazier stuff happen with developer stuff. Maybe you're just using a weird European plug. Maybe that was it. Maybe they didn't, like, I'm just like, let's turn on the Steam Machine. User you, error. You, you do like oh. explosions in your games. Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe. I didn't screen share. Yeah. <laughs> we have any other questions, Stephen? Uh, uh, extra Earth Inc. Check uh, Brian. What are you working on these days? Well, I loved uh, RCR, Retro City Rampage. That is an awesome He's question. My personal hero. That is an oh, awesome wow. question. Yeah, Brian. Brian is a one-man band. He made uh, Retro City Rampage almost all by him, his lonesome, on across a whole bunch of different platforms, and it's an incredible game if you haven't played it. But yeah, you've gone kind of silent on what's yeah. uh, what's coming up. Can you tease? Can you give us a sense of what's happening? So yeah, I'm starting to get back in the swing of things. I had I had a really tough time just stopping and I kept doing updates and ports and the the reality is I've just had like back and neck issues and whatever <laughs> for like since I was working on PSP games yeah and just studio after studio I would always just put it on the back burner and just get the next milestone done let's ship it and whatever and so I just it just gradually kept getting worse and worse and I pushed through the pain to finish RCR and eventually I just decided okay I've got to make my health first so I had been taking some time off, which was very hard, and um, just letting go into a lot you. of physio and stuff. Good and for you. Uh, but I, I've just been itching to go back to things. So I will, I'm starting to get back to things. I got a treadmill desk and all this crazy oh stuff. My, uh, my hydraulic desk that goes up and down, the treadmill. And uh, so I've been, and just lots of physio. I think kind of off topic, but the big lesson I can teach people is number one, make health a priority. Nothing yeah. is worth your the sacrifice, um, especially a bad PSP game. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, that wasn't worth it. Um, and uh, and the, the second thing is just, it's like, sometimes, it's, in my case, for example, you got some, this muscle might be sore, and so you keep getting treatments for it to loosen it up, but it doesn't fix it because it's other stuff. But you might. And then you it, hurt it again because yeah, you go on crunch for four months. Exactly. Yeah. So often some of the recovery things are actually getting specific physio exercises to do multiple times every day at home. Yeah. And it, you can't just necessarily just go in, get a massage, and Dude, you know, fix and yourself. that's something for gaming, too. I mean, mm -hmm. people sit in the same position while they're playing these games forever. And, you know, nobody's getting younger in this industry. And I, yeah, I, I definitely want to, you know, let viewers and, and gamers know you got to get outside. You got to take a break. Because when you come back to the games, they're actually better, you know. That's one of the things... Uh, that I discover as a as a reviewer too is you know when I put the stuff away for a little bit or I do different things and mix up my my weeks and I go back to games I I appreciate them all the, all that much more but yeah. it can really hurt you when you're making yeah. them too right now Brian has brought something kind of special for us for Toy Break he's toy taking break. over the reins on Toy Break what do you what do you got for us buddy let's see here you got something something to make you cringe uh, maybe not what yeah. do you got here. I got Surf's Up Batman, the Adam West Oh my God, that's, that is ridiculous. Did you pay money for this? I did. Oh man, <laughs> look at this thing. This is the old 66 Batman. Have you got a, uh, a tight shot on that? This is crazy. I just uh, talked to Adam West at San Diego Comic-Con a week and a half ago. They made him wear costumes like this on the yeah, show. Are, and are you a gonna, Joker one too. Are you going to buy the, the TV show when it comes out? I it comes will, with yeah. the surfboard, Bat surfboard. Yeah. How crazy, man. Are you guys Bat fans? Feel free to, to <laughs> I remember when I was handle a kid, Toy Break. Um, I used to watch this show. Like, uh, uh, it was awesome. I didn't, I didn't recognize the cheesiness because I was a kid when I was watching it. But, yeah, looking back at it, it's just so awesome. That's, uh, that's what he said when I talked to him is that it kind of did two different things. The adults got the jokes and they, they enjoyed the cheesiness. Right. But the kids all fully believed in it. So yeah. he, they, got a, they had a show that was a hit in a bunch of different ways. Very cool, man. That's awesome. And this is for me, right? <laughs> no. No, no. It's your toy break. That's really cool. That's rad. All right. Well, we uh, have got to start winding down now, but I'll, I'll do one more question. Have you got one more for us? Uh, here's a really quick one. Okay. Have you played yourself on Retro City Rampage? Have I played myself? Of course. Yeah. Uh, Brian uh, coded in uh, all of the EP uh, squad. How, how do you get it? Yeah, elect play, right? Elect play, yeah. Yeah, if you punch in elect play on, uh, on the game, you can uh, access all of the hosts from uh, Electric Playground, past and present. Uh, and it's awesome. It's incredible. Very shrewd, very smart of you to do that <laughs> you because know, he I've did it with a, other press outlets. Yeah, I've there. just been a huge fan, and uh, and it was super awesome for you to even you were able to get Tommy in there as well. Yep. So yeah, shout out to just because I grew up watching EP as well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, that's a huge honor. Do you guys uh, meet heroes and fan, you know, stuff, people that you're big fans of when you come to things like this? Other people that are working on games. Oh, good all the time, yeah. yeah. I, like, I think, you know, a lot of the indie meetups, yeah. it's, it's everybody's fanboying. It's like, oh, you made that game, I love that game, I love your game, and so it's, it's really awesome. You, you either know each other by Twitter handle or game title. Yeah. Like, that's sort of how, like, it, that's how you meet people. It's like, not, oh, you're that person, you're, like, you worked on that game. It's more of a, like, you, you do that. It's like, you worked on that game, didn't you? Like, didn't you, didn't you make, like, that? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, I love that. Yeah. Like, and that's just how you meet each other. Like, have you worked in AAA on a big team before? Have no, actually, I'm a, I'm a university dropout. Okay. I dropped out of university and started Flambeer. It's actually why we started Flambeer. We didn't like our, our university. Crazy. Uh, it was a game design school. And, and you saw this opening? You saw this kind of no, brave, brave new world? No, we just wanted to get out of school. Yeah. No, okay. we were, uh, screw this, we're out. Like, <laughs> JW, we didn't like each other back then. And the only reason we started the company together was because we liked school less. Now, could you see yourself ever uh, as part of a giant company building something? Are you happy with the way that you're doing everything right now? Yeah, I mean, I talk to a lot of people in AAA, and I, I, I have the largest respect for them because I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. I, I really need the sort of control and the creative input and the feeling of like having created something and turn like, on a dime sure. when you want to yeah exactly yeah. like be able to kill a project if we don't like it be able to like put like little touches of ourselves in there like nuclear throne is just it's a giant love letter to like pulp science fiction movies like bad science fiction movies i mean we've got it we, it's a game in which the like the fish used to be a cop on the last day before its retirement like <laughs> and then end of the world happened he turned into a fish with a shotgun <laughs> with a guitar sitting by a campfire like it's just a love letter to like 
bad science fiction movies. And that's very much us. And like seeing that, like so like profoundly and seeing people interact with that and loving that and getting it, like I don't I don't think you could do that at a large company, like not easily or not in any way that is as personal as this. So I don't think I can do that. Yeah, I couldn't really see Assassin's Creed putting a, a fish with a shotgun <laughs> into it as what one of the assassins. Game, what is a game without a fish with a shotgun? I know, right? Okay. Well, Dan, you've worked uh, with these huge companies. You've definitely had an insight and an eye into AAA, and you've definitely you know, been very much in touch and in tune with the indie world out there. What's the future for indie? Well, that's what I'm hoping we can actually take a more active approach and actually kind of guide instead of just kind of seeing how it all plays out. Because um, the way it's playing out right now is very much like a feast or famine kind of thing where there's going to be a few hits and a few really disappointed people who are going to have to go back to day jobs. Right. And so I'd love to see if there's a really, a much more stable, healthy way of 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 running the business. Um, so I think there's there's always going to be an indie scene. It's just gonna be a question of, can it be sustained and can can people actually make a decent living out of it or do they have to risk their lives to do it? Are people gonna have to wear suits and ties? Oh, never, no. Okay, I good. think those days are gone. Good. I do think it's always gonna be a risky thing. Yeah. Like indie, for definition, is a risky thing. Like being an entrepreneur and having your own company is always gonna be a, a risky, like difficult sort of, proposition. I do think, and this is what Dan has been talking about, that we've been talking about, is like, if you are making a good game, it deserves to have yeah. like the attention that you put in the game deserves to go into your marketing, into your business, into making sure that you have good connections, that it's coming to the right platforms, that you take care of your community. And we don't have a lot of people that like are professionals at guiding that. And that's what we need. And that's along the axis that the industry could grow. It is. It's a reboot. It really is. It is it, a reboot. It, you know, it, it feels like the beginning stages of, uh, of the industry again. Yep. It's really yeah. cool. Guys, this was a big thrill for, for me and for our viewers. Thank you all very much for coming in. Thanks for guest hosting, brother. So Thanks for bringing an Adam West action figure. We'll see you guys next time on Vic's Basement. Thank you. Thank you.